Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, we're going we're gonna to jump back in. Last week we were talking about uh, a, a subject, I don't know what to call it, uh, but uh, the heading of my notes was uh, New Opportunities, Awaken a trigger old insecurities. That was what my, my notes were. I don't remember what we called it on the, on the podcast. But I want to continue in this vein because I believe there's something God is going after right now that we need to pursue. And uh, so uh, what, what I really want to go after this morning uh, is the fact that we want to go after powerless Christianity. We want to confront that thing. That there is, a, there is a way that we can think as believers which really cripple us, which, which cripples us with bad theology, and that undermines the engagement of the human heart. Now, we, we touched on some of this at the first of last year. Whenever we started really going after prayer, uh, there was a new prayer initiative that's still going on. We meet Tuesday through Friday for prayer in the morning, and uh, we launched into a fresh uh, a fresh teaching on prayer. It's, it's some, we've talked about it before over the years. God has called us to be a praying church. I believe every church is called to be a praying church, but I do believe that some churches have a, uh, an assignment in that regard, and I believe we're one of them. And so uh, in order to engage our hearts, we have to have a strong theology of prayer. And we talked about that. Uh, and there was, I, I've, talked about, I've taught on that over the years a number of times, but we added a component or a dimension to that teaching that I've never touched on before, and that is how God governs. That God governs through a hierarchy. He governs through layers of leadership. And it might sound like a strange thing to talk about in regards to prayer. But it's very important. Because often believers don't pray because they, there's a disconnect between the effort it takes, the sacrifice it takes, and the results. They, they really don't see why it's going to matter. Because they've been taught that God's going to do what God's going to do anyway. That everything that happens is God's will. And God's will is already done. And so it's very hard for them to get up, more, get up early in the morning, to skip a meal in fasting, and to put forth the effort, really engage their heart. And if they can do that heavy lift under the burden of this false theology that says it doesn't really make a difference anyway, if they can engage their heart, they do it with a lack of passion because it doesn't really make a difference anyway. And so we've got to confront that wrong theology. The early apostles, the original 12, they talked about demonic doctrine. There is some doctrine that is demonic in its nature. It has been orchestrated by hell to cripple the church. And we've got to confront those things because it will undermine our engagement. It will rob us of the passion. It will rob us of the partnership that we have with heaven. And so we talked about it at that time, and I want to revisit that in a, in a sense this morning because it's very important for us to understand that our activity, our decisions, our engagement in the earth does make a difference. And so we're going to look at that. I'm trying to, kind of trying to figure out where to jump in here this morning. 
Let, let's put it there. Let's pray. Father, God, just anoint us this morning to both speak and hear. Lord, we ask that your teaching would fall like rain. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who longs to reveal mysteries to your children. And Lord, we position our hearts right now to receive from you. God, I ask that you would pour through me, speak through me, and use me this morning to unlock the secrets of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me read you a verse. Turn with me to Matthew 13. If you can get there before I do. Matthew 13, I'm already there, sorry. Matthew 13, uh, this is the parable of the soil uh, in in verse 11. uh, But... Really, the context of Matthew 13, it's the parables of the kingdom. And if you want to understand the kingdom, one of the primary passages you go to is this section of Matthew. And he has numerous parables on the kingdom. Uh, Jesus came to bring his kingdom with him and to release it on the earth. And so he tells this parable, and uh, this, this first parable, the parable of the soil, I'm feeling the gravitational pull to being pulled into its orbit and teach on this passage, but I won't. We're not going to talk about the parable of the soil, although he does say, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of the others? So what he's saying is this parable in particular holds the keys to unlocking all the other parables. And the parables unlock what? The mysteries of the kingdom. God wants to reveal to us the mysteries of the kingdom. And this parable holds the keys to that. So look at, he he tells the parable. Then verse 10, the disciples came and they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Now you've got to see Matthew 13, Luke 8, uh, Luke 4 and Mark 8, I think it's, anyway, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all deal with this body of material, but Matthew really elaborates on it. Matthew gives us more details to what Jesus said here, but you've got to read them all side by side to really get the full picture of what's going on here, because the disciples say a number of things, and you can't understand from just one of the passages where they're really coming from. And if you don't understand where they're coming from and Jesus' answer, you're going to lose some of the impact of this. Because the disciples say to Jesus, hey, what are you talking about here, Lord? We just just heard with the rest of this crowd what you were saying, and we have no clue what you're saying. Matthew says, he adds the component that they said, Lord, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you speak in parables? So they're wondering, God, why, Jesus, why do you speak in this elusive, illustrative way? Notice I said elusive and illustrative. Because the word parable in and of itself literally means to throw alongside. The idea is that you're going to take the physical, which we understand, and throw it alongside the spiritual, which we don't understand, because God's ways are higher than our ways. It's very clear in Scripture. God says, you don't understand my ways. Isaiah tells us that. So what does Jesus do? He pulls out this thing called a parable, a teaching method, where he's going to lay something alongside that we do understand so that we can then get insight into something we don't understand. The physical gives us insight into the spiritual. So Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who goes to sow seed. So if we, can if we begin to study the dynamics of all of that, it gives us insight into this. So parables are to throw alongside, that's what the word means, 
But then Jesus tells us his motive for using this method, and it's directly contrary to the meaning of the method. I, I, I. Follow me here. Listen to what he says. Why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know. What? The secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Now they ask, Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus tells them why. And essentially he's saying, so they won't understand. Look at, he goes on, but to them it has not been given, verse 12. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. He's talking about the kingdom. This is how the kingdom operates. And that needs to irritate and trouble you, okay? It really does. It should trouble you, unless you know what it means. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed perceive, or uh, you will see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull with their eyes they can barely hear, or their ears they can barely hear. I can't hear, see with my eyes, ears either. But with their ears they can barely hear, with their eyes they, they, that they have closed, lest they could see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to look in what, into what you see and, do not, and did not see and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So he's saying that, listen, you guys, this, this, you New Testament people, he's talking to the disciples, but it applies to us as well. He said, you have an opportunity to see and hear things that the men of old, the people who wrote the scriptures and prophesied about the very things, like Isaiah, that were enjoying what we enjoy, they didn't even understand what they were writing about fully. And you and I get to enjoy those things. But he says, I teach in parables, and by using that methodology, and even using that word, he's saying, the reason I do it is to reveal. The reason I do it is because it's, it's, a, it's a, a way that I can instruct you and give you revelation. But then he says, that's the methodology, but the motive for the methodology is also so I can conceal it from those who can't handle it, because their hearts are hard. And so Jesus teaches in a cryptic way. And he says to the disciples, but the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. And we know from this passage what they ask, but from some of the other passages we know they said, Jesus, what does it mean? Because they were clueless. They didn't understand what he was talking about any more than anybody else did. And so what is he saying? He's saying the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom are, have been given to those who ask they stick around and say, what does this mean? And so if you have a seeking heart, if you have a heart that longs to under, understand, that wants to hear 
and understand and to see and perceive if you'll press in and, and come back at a second run at it and keep saying, God, I want to understand. Those are those to whom the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given. And it's important that we understand that because there are people who will teach from this passage. Some of my favorite teachers will teach from this passage and say that it's only for the elect. It's only for those who God arbitrarily has chosen in his heart and some he has rejected and damned hell and some he has accepted and said, I'll give the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom to you. And there's nothing we can do about that because it has to do with God's arbitrary decision, not ours. And that is not what Jesus is saying here. When he says the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you but not to them, he's talking to people who had no clue any more than anybody else. What he was saying is the people that stuck around after the service and said, what does this mean? He said, okay, to you guys, I'm gonna unpack it. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's saying that if you are hungry enough to keep pressing in, you are not content to hear and not understand and just walk out, well, that was strange. I don't know what he was talking about. And you're, you're content to go off to lunch then you will not get the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. But if you're the kind of person that hears it and you're still intrigued and you say, I've got to understand these things. There's something that's pulling me deeper. There's something within me that has to understand the kingdom. Jesus would say to you, to you has been given the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. And then he goes on to unpack his own parable. Now, that is how God operates. That is parables, or you could put it this way, mysteries on the one hand and revelation on the other hand are a strategy of the kingdom. That's what we need to understand. That is how God operates. God both reveals and conceals. God releases and withholds. And he does it based upon the response of the human heart. And so, lest we get frustrated and think, I don't understand why some people have understanding and I don't, realize you can do something about that. You position your heart and get hungry and begin to ask and keep on asking. If any man lacks wisdom, what? Let him ask. And God will give to him and he upbraideth not. He's not going to get on your case for it. He loves that kind of stuff. And so if we will ask, God will reveal to us the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. What are, what is the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom? What is that? Well, knowledge, it's understanding. It, the Greek word is gnosis. Many of you are familiar with that word. It, there's an intimacy that, to that understanding. It's often, that, that it has an idea even of knowing by the senses. So there's an experiential element to this thing. Knowledge, coming into knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. So it's not just something you theoretically know. It's something you experience. And it's unlocked to those who are hungry enough to keep on knocking. The knowledge of the secrets. The, the, the word secrets there is the word we've talked about many times. Mysterion, where we get our word mystery, of course. But it also has to do with, the root word has to do with the war room. That the strategies of heaven of the kingdom, and the word kingdom is basileia. 
The, the, the idea behind that is it, it has to do with the king's dominion, not the king's domain. And why is that important for us to understand? Because it's not talking about some far off place, how God operates there. It's how God exercises his rule in the earth. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about some place. He's talking about God's rule here and now. Not a realm, his rule. Not a domain, but his dominion. It's how God exercises his influence in the earth. So put it all together. It's us having an experiential knowledge, an experiential understanding of these mysteries that God keeps from some people because they're so valuable. He's a good steward. He's not going to give it to those who, who will squander it. Stewardship, how you, what you do with what he gives you, is one of the primary principles of the kingdom of heaven. And that's why he said, those who have will be given more, and those who do not have, even what they have will be taken from them. We read Matthew 25 last week, and it was this parable about finances. He said that same thing. Now, in Matthew 13, when he's talking about the sower, he says the same thing. And, it's, and he unpacks it. He's talking about the word. So what he's saying is this. What you do with what you already understand will either open the door for more understanding or close the door on anymore. So stewardship is one of the primary principles of the kingdom. That's why you'll hear us say around here all the time, we need to steward this. I want to steward this well. That's not just a you know, catchphrase. That is one of the primary principles of the kingdom. What you do with what he gives you will qualify you or disqualify you for more. So we want to understand how God exercises, how he exerts his influence in the earth. How does God interact with his creation? That's what the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom are all about. And God wants us. He's inviting us in. I want you to understand more my ways. That's just another way. What the New Testament calls the the, the secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom What the New Testament calls that, the Old Testament called knowing his ways. David cried out, Psalm 25, show me your ways. Moses cried out, show me your ways, Lord. It says that he showed his works to Israel, but he showed his ways to to Moses. Israel saw what he did. Moses understood why. And when you understand why, you can anticipate future behavior. Because there's an intimacy. It's no longer a mystery to you. In other words, when you know God's ways, you can get in the way and intercept him on his way. You know where he's going because you have an understanding of the mystery of how he exercises his dominion in the earth. You have an understanding of how he interacts with his humanity, his creation. He's letting you in on kingdom rule. One Greek, uh, Greek help, uh, let me see here. I thought I had it here, but let me see. Nope, sorry. 
One of the, one of the Greek uh, uh, helps that I have on my computer, let me, it, it's the, uh, oh my goodness, the Greek English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian literature, third edition. It, uh, the way it defines Basilea is this, a term relating to royal administration. It's important that we understand that because what we can, we can easily do is reduce this idea of the kingdom. We, we throw that term around. Oh, we want to be about the kingdom. The kingdom is not about some far-off realm. And it's not even about God bringing the atmosphere of heaven to earth. That's included, but that's not the primary message. The primary message is, how does he exert his influence? The rule of God coming into the earth. And so if we understand that, we can cooperate as he operates. We can partner with heaven to see his kingdom come and his will be done. But that demands that we have an understanding. And one of the enemies to a strong kingdom theology, or let me, let me take another run at it this way, say this, that the foundation of supernatural Christianity, if you are hungry to see the supernatural, and make no mistake about it, the kingdom of God is supernatural. It's not a matter of words, but of power, Paul said. The kingdom of God will bring an effect with it. The foundation of supernatural Christianity is a strong kingdom theology. And the enemy of a strong kingdom theology is a theo- any theology, any philosophy that undermines your engagement and, under, and, and severs the cord, severs the connection between your activity and heaven's activity. If there's a severing of that and you don't understand, well, I don't understand how what I do makes any difference. It's because you don't understand the kingdom. And you need to, un- you need to cry out, God, I want to connect the dots. Because once those wires get connected, your heart becomes inflamed, engaged, and passionate. When you understand that when I pray, it matters. Heaven lands on earth. When I, when I live righteously, when I steward the truth well, all of this is a way to attract more of the kingdom of God, and it, it, enable, it brings me into increase. And that is precisely why I'm talking about this. I really feel strongly that the Lord wants to bring us into a season of increase. He wants to teach us to come into a season of increase. He wants to to expand your holdings, your portfolio in the kingdom. What you operate in, what you, the, the territory that you inhabit in the spirit. He wants to increase that. And there's a whole lot of things that touches. It touches everything in your life. And we need to understand, how do we engage heaven? And a strong kingdom theology is all about that. So let me just say this, and I've alluded to this, I've said this a number of times over the last couple years. It has really struck me very strongly in the last five years as this increase of an emphasis on the kingdom has been hitting the shores of Christianity. How much a strong kingdom theology shares in common with the word of faith movement. 
And there's a reason for that. Because the word of faith movement, heaven's calling, the word of faith movement understands that there are principles that we can cooperate with, and when we cooperate with them, we unlock the kingdom. They don't, it, it, the, the word of faith movement didn't necessarily frame it as kingdom theology, but they understood that there was a book called the Bible that if we can understand these principles and cooperate, there's, we're gonna sow and we will reap. My behavior has a, my response to heaven has a reciprocal response. There, God's gonna answer that there's, we obey the laws of the kingdom and there's results. And those two theologies share that in common. And there's a reason that the word of faith would. Now, we all know that every theology has been abused, okay? You can abuse any, any, any theological school of thought. But there has been a war against the word of faith movement. There's been a war against financial prosperity and health. Who do you think has a vested interest in keeping you poor and sick? Do you think that's God or is that the enemy? There's been a war against that. And so we need to understand that there's, there is truth there that if we can understand the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom, there are principles that as I become enlightened and I begin to apply them in my life, the fruit of the kingdom begins to manifest. That I can engage heaven by my heart, attitude, my posture, and my behavior that I can begin to sow and reap I can begin to act and have that activity produce fruit in my life. And so kingdom theology has everything to do with stewardship, you utilizing what God's given you, being a good steward, producing a harvest out of God's initial investment in your life. You can't read the parables of Jesus when he's talking about the kingdom and not come to that conclusion. So what are the enemies of this theology? There's one that is a theistic enemy, a theistic doctrine, it's, and that would be theistic determinism. Hyper-Calvinism is what that is. Theistic determinism. In other words, everything about your life is already predetermined. There's nothing you can do or not do that's gonna change that because God has already, already set everything in motion. Islam holds that in common with some schools of theology within the church, but theistic determinism says that God has already mapped out every detail of your life and he's already appointed some to heaven, some to hell, and you are, the best, the, the, at best, what you do is you, now this is, this is hyper-Calvinism, okay? At best, your ultimate goal is to simply keep your heart right before God as life happens to you and not get offended. And it's gonna build character in you and there's a nobility and there is a truth to this, okay? This is, this is not like it's, it's, it's just not the whole truth. There is this, there are mysteries in life where there's things we don't yet understand and so things happen to us. And yes, we do need to fight, just like I was talking to Aaron yesterday and he told me, he said, I'm, gonna, I'm taking my stand. He said, God is good. And that's no small thing. This young man in his 20s who just lost his little baby and he's, just, he's within 24 hours of getting the news 
His mind is still trying to grasp the magnitude of it. He's trying to get to his wife. I guarantee you there's questions. Lord, why did you allow this to happen when I wasn't there? All these questions. But he's taking a stand. God is good. God is good. God is good. And that is a noble thing. But it's not all that Christianity entails. So theistic determinism says that everything that happens is God's will. God's will will always happen. And our job is to keep our heart right as it happens. We don't affect things. We're affected by them. The other philosophy is atheistic arbitrarianism. (laughs) In other words, everything's chance. There is no God. Everything's a biological accident. The fact that we're here was a biological accident. That we somehow emerged out of the primordial stew somewhere back there. And everything that's happened. So over here... There is a law that everything is, is already predetermined. Over here on the other end of the pendulum, there is no law. Everything's just chance, and case or or whatever will be, will be. There's no one guiding that, so it doesn't matter what you do. And so there's a disconnect between our behavior and the results that we, we uh, reap in our lives. And a lot of people live that way. Matter of fact, there's a lot of government policies that come out of atheistic arbitrarianism that says, well, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to adopt this policy and then it has all these horrible ramifications, so we just do it more. We're trying to get better results. And between those two is this idea that God delegates authority to you and I empowers us to make decisions according to truth or according to lies. It's up to you. And as we make those decisions, good things happen or bad things happen. And we can cooperate with heaven. Now, this this kingdom theology is closer. It's not in the middle of these two. It's closer to this because God does intervene, but he intervenes in a partnership with man. He, we, we cry out to him and he directly intervenes through prayer and does miracles, but he also intervenes through revelation and giving us more understanding so that we can cooperate with the kingdom. Do you, you tracking with me here? And so, but we have to understand this because the danger is, is that as unbelievers, we buy into this. Well, there is no God. Everything's just an accident. It doesn't matter anyway. And over here, we believe it doesn't matter anyway because everything's already going to happen God's way. And the fact is, not everything that God desires to see happens, happens. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but some do. And sin itself is, is, is a violation of God's will. God doesn't want us to sin. God didn't ordain sin. Sin is a violation of his will, but sin still happens. And so we need to learn that there are principles that we can mine out and that we can cooperate with God. And when we understand that, that is tremendously empowering to us as an individual. To a very great degree, this is gonna sound humanistic, But to a very great degree, your future is in your hands. Now it's in God's hands if you allow it to be. 
And if you partner with God, the way you partner with God is not just resign yourself to be beat around by life and keep your heart right. It's you mine out the secrets of the kingdom. God, how does this thing work? There are secrets of how God operates that he longs to unlock to you and I. And when you discover them, there is great results to those secrets. God wants you to partner with him and see his kingdom manifest in your life. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. By the way, as a side note, we talked about this about 10 years ago. It's fascinating to me that when the Apostle Paul talks about the kingdom of God, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. When the Apostle Paul talked about it, he only defined it twice. And in defining it, he first told us what it wasn't before he told us what it was. To me, that's very interesting. And it tells me that Paul was attacking misconceptions of what the kingdom was. So he says in one passage, the kingdom of God is not a matter of words. Because there's a tendency for us as humanoids to reduce the kingdom to doctrine. To just talking about theology. That is not the kingdom. That's a portion of the kingdom but it's not the kingdom. And a matter of fact, you can be really good at theology. You can, you can study theology and, and never really touch the kingdom of God. Because it's to be more than words. It's power. It's, there's supposed to be an effect. It's to land in your life and make a difference. And if you're not seeing a difference by what you're studying, then you might need to start studying different. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power. And then he also says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? It means you can eat anything you want. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it means, yeah, that's heresy, but it sure felt good for a minute. It, uh, the kingdom, I know, yeah. That was terrible. The, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It said it's not a matter of external rules. It's the kingdom of God is within you. Righteousness, peace, and joy. The fruit of the kingdom will be first righteousness, then it'll bring peace, and then it'll bring joy. This ever-expanding kingdom. The fruit of the king's dominion in your life will bring righteousness, right standing with him, proper behavior, deliverance from sin. It'll bring peace. There is a psychological uh, ramification there that you will live in the shalom of God and then you'll enter into joy. You will begin to have a fresh, joy is largely a perspective on the future. You know it? That's why Paul says we rejoice in hope. Hope is about a future perspective. Hope is my perspective on the future. And when I have a proper perspective, a, a perspective on the future that is good, that I am in an, an impending collision course with the goodness of God, with the blessing of God. That's what hope is. Hope is a conviction of future good. That when I live in that, I rejoice in hope. When I'm in hope, joy begins to bubble up. But when I'm not living in hope, when I adopt a perspective of worry, of impending doom, of this foreboding of the future all the time, and the enemy is out to create that mindset in our life, when we have that type of mindset about the future, when that's our perspective, we are robbed of joy, and therefore the strength to walk out in the moment. 
The enemy wants to sabotage your hope, and one of the first indications that he is sabotaging your proper view of the future is that you, leave, you lose your joy in the present. Your joy. And understand, joy is different than happiness. Happiness, the root word is hap. We get from there, perhaps. It, 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 it has to do with chance. Happiness is based on happenings that are arbitrary in nature. And if you hitch your wagon to that, good luck. Because you're going to be up and down. Life's going to be a roller coaster ride. Happiness is external in nature. It's emotional. It's, it's hitching your emotional wagon to external circumstance. Matter of fact, what it demands is that you be the star of your show and everybody else is a supporting cast and they got to be willing to cooperate with that. Good luck with that one. I've tried that. It doesn't work. Joy is internal and it, it comes out of a perspective of the future. When we have that, that positive view of what's coming because we know that God is good and that as I cooperate with his principles that future good's going to come, I can actually take a down payment from the future and pull it into the present, and I can spend some of that right now in the form of joy. I know there's goodness coming. Oh, but man, you know what that guy's going through? He must be drunk. He's, he must be nuts. He's happy. No, because he's got, a, he's got a view of the future, of future good, and out of that, there's joy as simply the, the result of that hopeful perspective. We hope in joy. And so we need to keep hold of these things. I remember years ago we had this, a family had, had come to Teen Challenge on staff. They were only there for a very short time. Uh, they moved to Teen Challenge. They had known the executive director. We hired them. They were there for a short time and left. But the epiphany that the, the, the wife of this family had, I'll never forget. On her way out, she said this. She said, one thing I've learned while I'm here is that there are principles to Christianity that if I abide by these principles, there are, there's good results from that. And I, I didn't say anything, but I'm wondering, well, what did you think previously? <laughs> it was one of these two things that my behavior, my response, my heart posture is severed from any results that I get. It's, it's arbitrary, either in the heart of God or it's just by chance. And God's kind of an eeny, meeny, miny, mo God. And he's not. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom are given to those who are hungry and pursue those things and, and, and ask God, God, I want you to explain to me how this works. I want you to unlock how life works so I can cooperate with you. Lord, I, I can't figure this out on my own. Enlighten my mind. Give me the, the knowledge of the secrets. And God loves to give that kind of wisdom to his children. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Proverbs chapter two says, Seek for wisdom. Cry out for revelation. Seek for it as hidden treasure and you will find it. You know why you seek for it as hidden treasure? Because it is. 
If I were to tell you, hey, guys, I just got some documents from the city. They say that there's some pirate's treasure hidden on Heartland's property to the north of us. Isn't that funny? Wow. Who thought? I guarantee you about 2 a.m. there'd be a bunch of people up here looking, blacked out, you know, black, little helmets on, you know. They're like, if you think there's treasure somewhere, you're going to be searching for it. Well, there's treasure in them thar pages. There's treasure in the book. And if we can understand the secrets to life abide within the Bible, and we need to come with that perspective. It, it, it is relevant right now to everything you're going through. And if we will come to the Bible and say, God, help me to understand. God, enlighten my mind. Make me wise. I want to understand the secrets of the kingdom, which is simply the secrets of how you operate in the universe. Because I want to know your ways so I can get in the way and I can intercept you as you're working. I want to be in the thick of what you're doing. I want to understand what I can do to cooperate with you. I want to understand what I can do to see the kingdom fruit begin to manifest in my life. And it's the parable we read last week. Matthew 25, there was a man. He said, the kingdom of heaven will also be like. He says at the first of the passage, At the end of the age, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Then in verse 14, I think he says, and it will also be like. It, what? The kingdom. The kingdom of heaven will be like a master who is going on a long journey. So he called his servants together and he said, listen, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you my resources. You get five talents. You get three talents. You get one. Now, talents really works for us in modern English because we think of it as talents and abilities. And you can make a strong case for that. But what he was really talking about is a weight of gold. A talent was a specific measure of gold. He was investing his resources. And I'm telling you, God has already invested his resources in you. And it says he gave it to them and then he left. He imparted and he departed. And he walked away. He went on his long journey. And it says the two, the five talent and the three talent dude, they immediately put it to work. They traded with it. They used it. They, it. they took what God put in them and they began to utilize those things. And the other one buried it. And then the master returned to settle accounts with his servants. There's coming a day, my friend, that we will all stand before the jealous master and he will say, I've got my books out. I want to know, what did you do with what I put in you? What did you do? It's not where you start, it's where you end. There are going to be a lot of one-talent believers who end up in some big old mansions in heaven. And there's going to be a lot of ten-talent believers who live on Skid Row. I I don't know if there will be a Skid Row in heaven, but you know what I'm saying. It's not where you start, it's where you end. It's what you do with what he gave you. And so rather, and and again, last week we talked about it. It says he gave it to them according to their ability. But your ability and your possibility are two separate things. Your ability speaks of today, what I can do right now. 
Your possibility speaks of your potential, what God has put within you in the form of potential. And the way you go from ability to possibility and unlock your potential is put what you can do to work right now. And, and it's very telling what Jesus, what Jesus said, the master said, because the two first servants, they said, Master, you entrusted us. You can hear in that the, the feeling of honor they had. Lord, you, you bestowed upon us a great honor. You, you believed in us. You, you really thought, you, you entrusted us with your holdings. You gave us your resources. Man, we were blown away. We didn't see ourselves that way. But man, we know you're a brilliant master. And if you believe in us, we're going to believe in ourselves. We're going to ride on your word, your estimation of us. Our high view of you, our theology, caused us to have a high view of what you said about us. And it elevated our identity. And it unlocked our ability to begin to use what you put in us. And we began to put it to work. And Lord, look at what we did. Your, one, one past says, your money made ten, five more. I took what you put in me and I multiplied it. And he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come in. And the other passage is, put them over 10 cities. Your rank in heaven will be determined by what you did with his resources on earth. But the last one, he says, I knew you were a hard taskmaster who reaps where you don't sow and Harvest where you cast no seed. You require of me a harvest that for which you gave me no seed. You require things from me, but you never gave me anything to pull it off. And my theology, my view of you, my low view of you, caused me to have a low view of myself, my identity, to not believe in me, and therefore I buried your treasure. Here is what you gave me. And the master, in Luke, there's another version of this parable. He said, I will use, I will, your own words will condemn you. I will judge you by your own words. You said you knew, you knew that I'm a hard man that reaps where he doesn't sow. If you knew that, then why did you not put it on loan with the banker? So at least I could have got some interest. Instead, you buried it out back. You're a, you're a wicked, lazy servant. He was judged because of his low estimation of the master and it caused him to bury his treasure. What is he saying there? We need to catch this. If you don't have the confidence to use your own gifts, get under someone who does. I have a friend, he'll say to me, Dave, God has plans for you and so do I. <laughs> he has plans for me. Get around someone that has plans for your gifts. Get around someone who has a vision to invest what God has put in you if you don't have a vision yourself. Get under a leader that will begin to pour into you and say, do this, do this next thing. And there are a lot of believers who never unlock their potential because they won't get under a leader and be discipled. They won't get under someone and say, listen, I want you to help me. I, what I see in your life is what I really want and so I'm asking you for advice. What, do, what should I do with this? What, do you, what, what, what advice would you give me? And you begin to invest according to their counsel. If you don't have a vision for it, get under someone else. That's what he's saying. The kingdom of heaven 
is a master. Now, some people would say, well, it's not right to get your theology from a parable. What? Well, it's not right to get your theology from the narrative passages. You should never get doctrine from the narrative passages. What? Paul said all scripture is inspired and profitable for doctrine. And the son of God himself said, the kingdom of heaven is like. But I shouldn't come to a conclusion on this passage. He's telling you, the kingdom of heaven is like. Do you long to understand the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom? The the creator of the universe is saying, hey, I want to let you in on a secret. This is how the kingdom works. I already put something in you. Every one of you have something in you in the form of potential. Put it to work and you'll get more. You're going to unlock something within you and I want to begin to multiply what I put in you. I want to give you more. I want to give you more influence, more holdings in the kingdom. I want, to, I want to take what I put in you. I'm zealously, jealously hungry for what's in you to be unleashed from you and the kingdom of God to be leashed on the earth through you. This is how the kingdom works. God rules through you and I. It's not determinism where God has already predetermined what your life will be. You have a say. Are you engaged or not? Or have you been sabotaged by a false philosophy, a diabolical theology that cripples your engagement and just says, well, you know, God's God's in control and he'll use me if he wants to. I know people who have received prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about how God's gonna use them in the nation. I know a guy, he's well into his 60s now, and for the last 30 years, he's been talking about how God's gonna use him in the nations. Problem is, he never goes to the nations. He's not putting it to work. He looks at prophecy as something God does, rather than something he cooperates with. So Father, I just ask this morning that you would give us a hunger for the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. I'm telling you, I just feel it in the spirit right now. If you, put a, if you put a demand on God right now in your own heart, God wants to begin to release revelation to you. There are things some of you, you're coming up against and it, there's a resistance in your life. There's a, there's a frustration because you're not seeing traction in some areas. And the very resistance is an invitation. God's saying, because what's on the other side of this thing is so valuable, I've not released it to you until your hunger gets to a certain level. And just right now, I want to encourage you, put a demand on heaven. Begin to ask him, God, I want to cooperate with you. I want to understand these things. So, Father, I'm asking, God, that you would open the eyes of our understanding. Give us a hunger. Lord, we're asking that you would bring us into new seasons of prosperity in the Spirit. Lord, new seasons of breakthrough. God, that the things that have been resisting change, Lord, the things we've been longing to see happen, Lord, would begin to be released to us. Lord, help us to understand how to unlock your rule in the Spirit. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.